Hey guys, time for a very special announcement. I'm very excited to introduce you all to Howl.fm. This is the best and most convenient way to listen to all episodes of Happy, Sad, Confused. It's on the web at Howl.fm and on the go with the brand new Howl app. You can stream and download all Happy, Sad, Confused episodes that have been released in the past six months with this, guys. And you can go beyond just the shows with behind-the-scenes photos, commentaries, and much more. Plus, if you want to upgrade to Howl Premium for only $4.99 a month, you'll get exclusive access to the entire Happy, Sad, Confused archive, every single episode going all the way back, and to all the Earwolf and Wolf Pop archives. This includes all episodes older than six months. Six months, All have been remastered, no ads on any of them. Plus, only with Hal Premium, you can listen to hundreds of hours of WTF with Mark Marin, the gold standard guys, right? You can hear all the classic interviews with Robin Williams, Louis C.K., and so much more. Hal has also partnered with some of your favorite hosts and comedians to develop Hal Originals, brand new shows available only with Hal Premium. You really need to check it out. Check out great new series from Lauren Lapkus and the AV Club right now. Already, there are 10 brand new hilarious Hal Originals, and they are adding new shows every week. So get access to all this exclusive content Content, both on your phone and on your desktop with Hal Premium for only $4.99 a month. And with the promo code HAPPY, you get a full month of a free trial. So go to Hal.fm, enter the code HAPPY at checkout, and you're off and running. Remember, you can use Hal on your phone or your computer, but you can only use my promo code on the Hal.fm website. Go to Hal.fm, that's H-O-W-L dot and use the promo code HAPPY for one month free trial of premium. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. I am Josh Horowitz, your fearless leader in this podcasting endeavor. With me this week is the... Go on. I have no adjectives to describe you. What, what adjective would you use to describe yourself, Joel? Uh, Harry. Yep. And reliable. Wow. That's not the first one that comes to mind, but okay. We'll go with that. You were kind enough to come to my office and record this intro, so sure. We'll go with reliable. Uh, returning for his third intro to the podcast. Wait. Is this, that, is, is this is the fourth. Fourth. Oh, okay. Like, We've just okay. Well, good. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, this week's guest, which you have no... Um, do you know who this week's guest is? I don't know who this week's guest Okay, well, guest. this is going to be a surprise for Joel and for you guys in the audience, unless you, you're reading the thing on your uh, uh, iTunes. Uh, it's Chiwetel Ejiofor. Oh, yeah. old Chiwetel. Yes, uh, uh, who I um, had the privilege of sitting down with at length to talk about his great new film, Zephyr Zachariah. Which, you know what I sometimes don't do in the actual conversations that I'm going to do here, is I don't talk about what the plot of the film is. I take it for granted that you know. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Zephyr Zachariah. I'm going to educate you, Joel, and in turn the audience, as briefly as possible. Because this is actually a really good movie. I've seen it twice. Uh, and it's uh, it's a three-hander, if you want to put it that way. It's it's uh, Chiwetel, the lovely, talented Margot Robbie, and the lovely and talented Chris Pine. Um, and it's actually one of these post-apocalyptic things. Margot Robbie's the last person on Earth we think, it's not a spoiler to say, very soon after, Chiwetel en enters the picture, and you can guess where that's going, because I mentioned a third actor, Mr. Chris Pine enters too. It's a really provocative drama about sort of relationships and how things can get a little complicated when it goes from two people to three people. 
Like, and all the survivors are very attractive. They, it's, well, and that's the good news, I guess. I mean, bad news is the world's over. The good news is when we repopulate, it's going to be a very attractive oh. new. <laughs> yeah, just a handsome, handsome looking yeah. race of inbred children. <laughs> exactly. It's a nice, um, uh, we mentioned this in our conversation, it's a nice counterpoint to Last Man on Earth. It ironically, kind of has the same kind of weird escalation in it and the kind of growing complications as the cast gets bigger. Uh, but I, I, I actually, I do recommend this one very highly. It's a, it's a provocative piece of work from a great filmmaker by the name of Craig Zobel, who did this movie Compliance. Uh, and this one uh, is, is a good one. And I'm definitely looking forward to his next one as well. Uh, so that's Chiwetel, uh, who is, who is lovely, uh, who, who, the big revelation, I told you this the other day, Joel, is uh, we get into this, guys, and this is just in case you happen to encounter Chiwetel Ejiofor in the future, don't call him Chewy. I mean, I just figure that would have been something. So you're saying I'm stupid for even assuming that anyone would, by the name of Chiwetel, would go by Chewy. Yes. Okay. It's not like, just again, it's not like I said, hey, Chewy, and he got angry at me. Yeah, re, re, did you pose it as a question, or did you greet him? A, you just assumed, jumped right in. With, no, no, no. Without ruining the next 40 minutes of wonderful conversation, I asked the question, and maybe I incorrectly assumed that, that friends do call him Chewy, to which he very decisively said no. Uh, it's actually, it's a, he has a funny perspective on it, and, uh, and uh, he has an interesting perspective on Star Wars because of his name. Of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this guy is obviously um, one of our best actors, uh, Oscar nominated for 12 Years a Slave. And, and whether you knew him just from that going forward, or if you knew him from earlier stuff, whether it was uh, Stephen Freer's movie called Dirty Pretty Things, or Kinky Boots, or um, uh, Firefly, or rather Serenity, that was the feature film that earned him a legion of Joss Whedon fans. Uh, uh, really cool to bring him into studio and have a chance to talk to him at length about uh, this film and uh, not at all about Doctor Strange. He refused to talk about Doctor Strange. He wouldn't reveal anything about Baron Mordo? <laughs> oh, what a great name. He's going to be playing Baron Mordo, which ostensibly we think is going to be the villain, traditionally kind of the villain to Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch playing Doctor Strange. How cool is that? Um, but no. You know, the Marvel guys, they don't they don't let him talk. I get it. And uh, Tilda Swinton's in there, too. I know. It's the ancient one. There's, there's, have, you heard, have you followed how there's some, not, it's not rumors, it's questions about whether she's going to play the ancient one as a man or woman? Because she's kind of done that in film where she's oh, kind interesting. of cross-gendered. Could be interesting. Could be interesting. Um, Joel, uh, what do you have to plug in your life? I wanted to plug you guys. <laughs> Where are, you, where are you playing next? Where am I playing next? I'm probably going to be playing Facebook Marvel Avengers Alliance <laughs> soon, so I'll be doing that alone. Have you ever have you ever performed anything in front of a crowd? Have I have you ever performed music, comedy, acting, live sex show. I will say, well, yes, but I did. <laughs> I, I have a very i I had a band in college, uh-huh. but I also have a cameo in a few after hours. The most notably. The one with Ethan Hawke. Oh, yeah, guys, you should look this up. This was an underseen, we could probably say that about many of our after hour segments. Yeah, but, it's just rhetorical at this point. <laughs> but we, I, I, I like this one a lot. We called it Before After Hours. If you Google Before After Hours, Ethan Hawke, um, this is one of the sketches. That you, you might need a few more search <laughs> no, terms. No, no, MTV. No, no, you'll, okay, whatever. Before After Hours, MTV, Ethan Hawke. Please look it up. I think it's on YouTube or in the MTV player, whatever. Um, this is something that Joel and I concocted. And. Um, it was a fun little sketch that Ethan Hawke, who doesn't do a lot of comedy and maybe never will again after doing this sketch, uh, did with uh, me. And uh, yeah, Joel plays, well, I don't want to ruin it, but Joel plays a very close um, I ha- friend. Yeah, I have no Ethan. dialogue, 
but I sell it with my eyes. You really did. It's actually, I'm not even exaggerating, and I, I don't want to give any compliments to Joel ever, but it is one of my favorite moments ever in an after hours. And I will say, and I've said this to you before, I think it's my favorite wine ever in an after hours. <laughs> not delivered by you, delivered by Ethan Hawke. So enough about stuff that you can't see well, while we're talking you, about it. Well, thank you. <laughs> Um, so that's about it. Oh, one thing I wanted to get to always asking you guys for your lovely questions. Um, someone sent in a fun one that it's just good for film fans. What was the one he, someone sent in? Oh no, I can't find you now. Here it is. Um, from Inc. R seven, 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 uh, favorite Fincher film, favorite Fincher film. Uh, that's, I mean, Fincher's my, my guy. I love Mr. David Fincher. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind, I will say, I think seven, is probably kind of a perfect movie. I love Seven. I, I have to agree. I, uh, when Fight Club came out, I was kind of enamored with that. But over the years, I feel like Seven is the is the movie. Just it the narrative. Yeah. yeah. And just like, it's so cool. The, 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 the design of like the world, it's kind of like this, this kind of like alternate reality. It's just, uh, uh, Spacey's amazing. What's and your favorite uh, Seven quote? <laughs> I, mean, I don't think that's appropriate for the audience here. Um, I love Seven. I really do. I've, I've watched it a ton of times. I, I I kind of like and love all of his stuff. Zodiac is probably maybe a close second, just in sheer epicness and and so many great performances in that one. Um, but I love all his stuff. Yeah. Well, do you just relate to Zodiac <laughs> more than the other ones? More than Seven? No, no. Okay. Even Alien Three. I'll defend Alien Three, and David Fincher won't defend Alien Three. That's how hardcore a Fincher fan I am. Um, one day, maybe on the podcast. I don't know what he's doing next. He 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 takes too much time. HBO projects, I believe. Yeah, but but, I've heard but a lot of problems with them. Right. Yeah. He'll he'll get back on the horse soon. I'm not worried about Mr. David Fincher. Um, but enough about David Fincher. On with the show. Uh, Joel, you did it again. Fourth time's the charm, apparently. That's a record. Um, for you talking to people or for me having a... a this is my school? fourth interaction with a human. <laughs> Usually we just email, but human contact is I know, very it's surreal. Uh, on with the show. Here he is. Chewetel. Don't call him Chewy. Edgy of four star of Z for Zachariah. Enjoy. It's good to have you here today, Chuatel. Um, we got a chance to talk briefly about this one in Sundance, but we got rid of the, the ball and chain of, of Margot and Chris. Now you have you ultimately. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Those guys always drag me down. Right? <laughs> well, he's busy, what, captaining the Enterprise? Yeah. She's in crazy makeup, and everyone's doing superhero movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess you will be too. We, <laughs> we can talk about that at some point as well. But um, this is a great film, man. I really I enjoyed it when I saw it in Sundance. I was telling you before, I got a chance to see it again, just partially as a refresher and partially because I enjoyed it so much. I wanted to <laughs> yeah, catch cool. it again. Um, Tell me first, like where this came, like where this come and where you were at? Because I feel like this was was this the first thing you did after twelve years? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Uh, I'd done. Uh, I think I'd finished twelve years and taken a bit of time, uh, just time out, uh, a little time off, and um, and then I um, and then I was kind of interested in doing another film, and uh, I spoke to Craig, and so I went. We talked in L.A. Uh, and um, and. Uh, I just, you know, I, I really loved Compliance, you know, Compliance, it was quite a tough film, you know, but it yeah. was really engaging and, uh, and incredibly sort of epic and really dealing with all of these human emotions in a really sort of raw way. And so when I had spoken to Craig and when I'd read the script, you know, I realized that, you know, he's a perfect director for this kind of material and, yeah. uh, and to sort of wrestle with all these kind of emotional nuances. 
And so I got very excited about working with him. And, and so, uh, uh, so, you know, I suppose it was, that was probably about half a year, three quarters of a year, whatever, until we actually got a chance to get to New Zealand right. and, uh, and, and shoot the film. Did it feel like kind of like a, a good escape at the time? You had just gone through that crazy award season thing, which can screw with somebody's brain. Like even the, the most composed human being probably were... Well, actually, the truth was, I was actually in the last parts of the award season. Yeah. You know, when we when we shot the film, so the uh, uh, so the Baftas hadn't happened, the Oscars hadn't happened. Uh, um, uh, so I and I went off to New Zealand, and uh, and and then came back for the Baftas, flew back to New Zealand. You know, wow. <laughs> I mean, it was an insane schedule. Is is that helpful in a way to like? Compartmentalize, or was that e- easy to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to turn off this Chiwetel and turn off, turn on this guy right now, or was it sort of distracting at the time to go from those two very different kind of lifestyles? Yeah, it was. It was. I thought it was. It was kind of fascinating, and you know, I was so relieved in a way to get to New Zealand. You know, the first time that I when I first landed, yeah. because it was right in the midst of all of that stuff, and it's like the polar opposite. You're suddenly on the South Island, and there's nothing going on. You're totally unplugged. You know, yeah. it's a half mile walk before you can find the place where you can get one on your cell phone you know it's like uh, it's sort of that that sort of universe and it was it was beautiful to be there and to be doing a project like this you know that was just very intimate very detailed with three you know for most for half the film it's a two-hander yeah. and then you know and then it's a, then when Chris arrives it's three-hander yeah. uh, and those are the only people in the movie and it's just about interpersonal relationships and I and I thought that was all beautiful and fascinating I'm, I'm curious like from your perspective are you the kind of actor that like like do you like to arrive on set still with some questions still with like some uncertainty or do you have it kind of all figured out in your head by the time you're there on the first day of set? Well, I suppose I have a plan, you know, like if everything, if everything falls to hell. You know, <laughs> I can always go back to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it. there's hopefully something that I've come up with beforehand that I think is going to kind of be, to work through it and, and to sort of navigate. Uh, the hope is that you throw that plan out the window because every day there's better ideas and right. there's better, you know, and you and the other actors and the director and really are coming up with different and better ideas than you could have come up with on your own. And so yeah. um, uh, that's the hope. And, uh, and in this case, that's absolutely what happened. You know, that every single scene we worked and discussed and uh, uh, played through, played in different ways, tried new things, you know. Uh, and so it bore no resemblance. What I ended up doing bore no, very little resemblance to what I'd kind of come prepared with. Is that know, right? As an, overall, as an overall arc, yeah. What, uh, what do you, what do you, uh, your character, I mean, all three are great characters. Your character is fascinating in that it's, man, when Chris enters into that film, I feel like you, the, the collective audience just feels like a, I don't even know what the emotion is. It's just like, <laughs> gutted. yeah, gutted for this guy who's just a little bit slow to act yeah. and, and tentative uh, in this relationship with Margot's character. Yeah. Um, he thinks he's got all the time in the world. And he doesn't. Turns out yeah, he's this, wrong. this guy's right around the corner. Um, but it's interesting because it's like you're playing you know, more like indecision, more wariness than confidence, which I don't is that is that more challenging in a way like to is is it is it easier in a, in a way for lack of a better term to play the guy that has bravado that comes in with like a lot of energy and this guy is not that he's more muted in it yeah I think that, that I don't know really I mean there's certainly there's, come, there's something very fun about just playing the front footed guy who's going to come in here you know kicking us and taking names yeah. type thing but then there's also something about there's something closer to me 
about you know being kind of slightly more pensive about all of these things. You right. know? I mean, the way that I always saw it with Loomis was that he comes into the situation, he meets this woman, he thinks she's the only, she, he thinks he knows she's the only other woman, possibly the only woman in the world, and uh, and he is at this point, uh, he thinks the only man in the world. So yes, he thinks he's got all the time in the world, and he wants to take it slowly because he's terrified, essentially, of, um, of getting into a bad relationship with yeah. the last woman on the planet, you know, which would be awful. Right, you know, right. I mean, because where are you going to go? You know, it's like there's, right. nothing, there's nothing to be done. So he's sort of playing it so that all of these building blocks of this relationship are kind of perfectly you know, aligned, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, all of that is blown out the water by, uh, by, by, by the arrival of Caleb, who is, again, you know, sort of a front-footed yeah. guy who's much more instinctual, who kind of goes for what he, for what he wants and therefore yeah. is able to completely outmaneuver Loomis. You know, you, no matter how much Loomis sort of tries to re-kind of manipulate the situation. You right. know? Um, so, that's, so, that, so that dynamic, Loomis's initial dynamic, was something that I totally related to, you know, that are much more than being kind of front-footed about it, you know, it's like that this kind of nuance and this sort of approach would probably end up being closer to what I would uh, right. do, especially as a kind of almost, because he's the sort of scientist, he's knowledgeable, uh, she's a little young, you know, significant, not significantly, but, you know, a bit younger than yeah, him, yeah. and, um, and uh, so really there's something, sense, yeah. Yeah, there's something slightly paternalistic about their their relationship uh, as he's teaching her how to use technology to improve their situation right. and these things. Uh, and so for all of those reasons, I think there would be a kind of a slowness to act, a kind sure. of a creeping relationship, you know, um, that, uh, but that doesn't work out for him. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to see, uh, you know, within genres or whatever, like how many different ways there are to skin a cat. I mean, you know, we've seen so many matter of post-apocalyptic things, zombie movies, et cetera. This is not that, certainly, though it shares a milieu that's somewhat familiar in some other films. It, it also strikes me, I'm sure, I don't know if people have brought this up, maybe my favorite TV show of the last year in a totally different level is The Last Man on Earth, sure, which yeah, has yeah. done a very comedic kind of take, which even has like a, a similar kind of escalation to this one. I don't know if you've the, seen it. I have. I have seen it now, yeah, because uh, people have been sort of talking about it in yeah. relation to this film. So. In terms of that one relationship and then kind of like a third coming in and, and some more and just sort of the, com- the complexities of these yeah, intimate it's really relationships. Yeah, it's really great. Have you yeah. you've checked it out, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Um, uh, and so, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, an, it's, just, it's a fascinating idea, you know, so, uh, so it's good to be kind of part of that kind of zeitgeist, if you like, you yeah. know, that people are kind of coming <laughs> up with this. Wouldn't it be great to explore this, you know? Obviously, sure. they explore it in terms of broad comedy and it's very funny you know yeah. uh, and this is a kind of the sort of the, the sort of nuance of ratcheting up the tension just between two people you know Absolutely. to 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 then then three people in their kind of emotional life you know um, and how they are brought into conflict with each other over the basis of actually um, not many, but but very sort of important distinctions and differences in, yeah. you know, in outlook and attitude, especially in the end, uh, religion. You know, and how uh, although it's not overstated, and I don't think anything that Craig does in this film is like um, an overstated beat. Yeah, but it's uh, but it's certainly the one thing that we that I think we sense increasingly. You know, minoritizing Loomis. You know, yeah, um, uh, is that they that the two of them start to bond over the fact that they both have faith, or at least. We know that Anne does, and but you know we can either suspect that Caleb is, uh, as Loomis suspects, perhaps that Caleb is kind of in- inventing his his faith in order to be right. a, to outmaneuver Loomis to create a a, a, a broader 
uh, relationship with, with Anne. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, this, like, and I've seen Compliance, which is excellent as well, with uh, Craig's last film, and uh, similar to that one, this... He, exceptional at putting an audience in the shoes of these characters and you constantly are kind of questioning what you would do in these very provocative um, situations. And I mean, are you, is that the kind of like conversation you have on set? Like, or is it more about like technique or work? Like, I mean, are you guys, the three principal actors and, and Craig, are you guys like talking through sort of the loftier notions of what this all means? Or is it more nitty gritty like where does my hand go here, and that kind of a thing? Where's it both? I think it's between between the two. You know, it's. Uh, I think the conversations that we were having ended up being very, very detailed about text. You know, yeah. like you know, because as we got to know each other, and as we got deeper and deeper and deeper into this, and as we developed a kind of shorthand for things, you know. We would sort of gather in little in a little huddle, you yeah. know, with the script and go through beats of it. And uh, to anybody else, it would be very subtle distinctions that we were talking about. But because we were kind of aware that everything, every sort of nuance in the film had sort of major kind of ramifications, you know, and right. had major, like, were important in, you know, in what, in how the characters are perceived and what the characters are thinking and what they want, yeah. you know. So if Anne looks at Loomis a certain way and then glances at Caleb, it just means a whole plethora of things, you yeah. know. If she doesn't look at Caleb and she looks at Loomis or she looks to him for advice on one thing and not Caleb, you know, every single sort of beat and turn and look and feeling um, gives uh, so much to the story. Yeah. So it was just sort of trying to find the balance of that. So not necessarily talk about the wider themes entirely, but to talk in quite detailed terms about uh, uh, where we were and what the affections were and how they were going to be manifested in any given moment. Since we have some time, I do want to talk about um, a lot of stuff throughout your career that I've admired over the years. Um, you know, you, if, if many great things came out of 12 Years a Slave, perhaps uh, not necessarily the best thing, but a good thing is that many more people know how to pronounce your name. Now. <laughs> this, is a good, this is a good thing. <laughs> is, there a, is there a smaller percentage of your conversations that are, revolve around just your name? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Is that, is that a good thing? It might be a good defense mechanism, too. It's like, Oh great! We're going to spend forty percent of the conversation just talking about my name, so that That's I don't fine. have to talk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Did, is it, do your friends call you Chewy? Is that is that like a no? Everybody, a thing? everybody calls me Chewatown. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if there was like some kind of like. Um, understanding of Chewbacca in some way. Do you have any kind of interesting relationship with that character, considering his moniker? Uh, no, but but but, but Chewy was something that I was called growing up. Yeah. You know, that I, uh, when I was a kid, uh, just through school. Um, but it, I mean, I, it makes my, my teeth itch. <laughs> really, you know, to hear yeah. it. And so that's the only relationship I then have with Chewbacca is that when they call it, when I hear, like even in the Star Wars trailer the other day, when he says <laughs> Chew, Chewy, Chewy Chewy, no. I was like, and then the hair stood up on the back of my <laughs> You're the only person that's going through this horrible crisis. Everyone else is so excited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not oh, about I the film. I love, <laughs> I love the rest of the trailer. It's just that exact moment. You know. You're standing up in the theater. Don't yeah. call him that hard. <laughs> yeah, call him Chewbacca. <laughs> he doesn't appreciate it. He doesn't it. like being called Chewy. <laughs> he has uh, a name. He has a name. <laughs> it's a full name. Did you ever ask Chewbacca if you could shorten his name? I bet he didn't. <laughs> bet also, he was not the kind of guy that would ask. <laughs> yeah. He would just come He's up like, with like, I can call you Chewy, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Chewbacca can't even answer back. <laughs> um, more on Star Wars. Your thoughts on Jar Jar Binks. No, let's go there. Yeah. Um, give me a sense of growing up. Like, What were you into pop culture-wise? Like, theater, film, TV, were they all big parts of Not really theater, up. you know. I mean, when I was young, young, you know, I only sort of got into theater when I uh, started doing theater. Yeah. So when I was like, th th I mean, I was young, essentially, because I was 13, 14. But then, you know, some people started going, you know, when they were infants, basically. But right. the, um, 
but uh, but yeah, I mean, all of this sort of the same. I just imagine it's the same things that you know, you know, you grew up with. You know what I mean? It's like a, uh, it's interesting that as well of being sort of because of the kind of spread and Americanization of uh, culture in a way that um, you can be in a completely different country and yeah. still have a lot of the same reference points. Right. You were still seeing our crappy sitcoms over there, basically. <laughs> it's like, we're sorry, by the way. On behalf of America, I'm yeah, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a good thing in the sense that, you know, coming to, I mean, I'm moving to America, that you kind of have so much of a kind of cultural um, similarity in terms of growing up. But certainly with movies, I mean, that was the whole thing, you know. And so Star yeah. Wars, of course, was massive for me and uh, Back to the Future and, you know, all of that kind of... Uh, uh, I think the first film I ever saw in the cinema was Cocoon, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, in Ilford Cinema in East London. But that, and I can't have been, I must have been quite, because when it's, was it's, that? It's 85, it, I would say. 85, yeah. yeah. So I was probably, I was 8 in 85. Yeah. So that makes about, that's about right. You know, here's my craziest fun fact How I learned about Cocoon. I, this is my job. 85, you were like, it's 85, I would say. <laughs> I was sure. like, you Someone try to slide me. that past me. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> no, no, so I mean, I'm, about Cocoon, Cocoon, the I'm convinced you're right, and I'm scared. You should be. Here's my other fun fact about Cocoon, besides knowing the year it was released. This boggles the mind. Wilfer Brimley in that film, I think Tom Cruise is now older than Wilfer Brimley was when he shot Cocoon. No way, that is crazy. Which is insane on just so many levels, that like however is, you want to like decide that yeah. Tom is just like defying age. And also Wilfred Wilf Brimley was aging a little prematurely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> scary. Wow. I didn't mean yeah. to bring it, bring it down, are you okay? Yeah, that's just weird. That's just, <laughs> that's just weirded me out. So, um, so you were into kind of like the major stuff that every kid. Like Back to the Future is the poster on my wall in my office. I still yeah, play to it's that a great stuff. movie. It's a movie that uh, you know it really is that kind of film that you could turn. That even if I hadn't seen as many times as I had done, you know, you could turn the sound down and be, and really follow yeah. the movie and know what was going on. And it's so complex, but it's such brilliantly. Uh, brilliant narrative storytelling. Yeah. Is, is that the goal in a respect? I know it's not like when you approach a project, maybe you can't think about it this way, but like, I suppose one of the goals at the end of the day is to have as many of those on the CV or resume as possible, the ones that kind of like, that, that feel that, tr that transcend time and, and can be appreciated by multiple generations that don't feel... Oh, for sure. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't, Try and do that on the floor. Guys, let's try and make a classic here. <laughs> yeah. You know, but yeah, of course, the hope is that the film kind of captures something, and yeah. uh, and therefore, and therefore, really, uh, just really works, and people feel that they can come back to it and uh, and find that they have more to gain and mine from it, and uh, and see into it, and yeah. um, you know, those are the things that I, um, you know, that I that I adored when I was, you know, growing up and, and, and you know, you know, watching movies, watching filmmakers, you know, um, that uh, could, could, you know, in the process of watching the movie, you knew that you could revisit this film, yeah. uh, you know, a hundred, you know, a hundred times. And that's the, that's the skill of, uh, of, a, you know, Scorsese or Ridley Scott or, uh, you know, uh, Anthony Mangella, the English patient, you know, and even like uh, you know, uh, I felt like uh, even films like uh, Howard's End, you know, had this mm -hmm. kind of you know Emma Thompson. That film is so extraordinary yeah. and uh, luminous, and uh, and uh, they just had this film that you just knew you were watching something that could always that would always stay with you and always have uh, always be kind of rewarding to see. It's interesting. Some of those filmmakers and films you've mentioned, I think, like what's telling is the specificity of the vision of like you know they're not necessarily like made like Howard's End is a very particular specific tale it's not necessarily yeah. meant to be universal and yeah. yet it it, and yet it, it, goes, it works <laughs> yeah, in that way yeah. it finds its way there to be there might be a lesson yeah. there in some way yeah maybe just that idea of being specific of being
writing, yeah. uh, of really telling a compelling story with compelling characters, you know, yeah. in a very sort of detailed way. You, you mentioned one filmmaker you've got a chance to work with, I think, just for a second time recently, which is Ridley Scott, yeah. who's... Um, just re- remarkable in so many respects. Uh, you know, talking about age too. That this guy is going strong. The Martian looks amazing, by the yeah, way. I just saw the yeah. trailer today. Um, what, what does does that strike you? Do you have those out of body moments when you're working with somebody who whose work you've grown up on, whether it's working opposite them as an actor or as a filmmaker? Yeah, I mean, it always it, you have you definitely take a moment because uh, you're struck by it. In fact, the only person that I um, you know, you know. Although I kind of grew up watching Ridley's films, it was really when I met David Mamet and we did Red Belt together. Yeah, was the first moment of me having to really explain. Like I had to stop him, put him aside, and say, "Hey, listen, I got to tell you that." <laughs> Just gotta get inside my yeah, system. Yeah, <laughs> you're the only person that I've ever worked with that I have also studied. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I did when we were school. He's obviously studying his plays and. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and that was kind of you know amazing for me. Uh, uh, he he felt it made him seem old. But <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I, I really enjoyed Red Bull. It's an underrated film, and I, I, a lot of his directing work I feel is, has been. I don't know if it's because of release or whatever, but like I think back to Spanish Prisoner, House yeah. of Games. There's sure. some real yeah, gems great, in there that yeah. people haven't paid enough uh, attention to in a way. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a, a little bit about, okay, so you're a kid, you're into all the stuff, the same stuff I'm into, yet you clearly went on a different path than me and many others. When, when did acting become a serious thing and, and a vocation or a potential vocation for you? Uh, it sort of became serious immediately. I mean, immediately, that I, as soon as I started doing stage work, you yeah. know, which started at high school, and, um, you know, and it was out of, really out of the literature and trying to, uh, it was kind of Henry IV Part One, which was, uh, I found really boring. You know, I was going to say, that's... that's Tough like stuff for really, a kid. I mean, really boring on a wet Wednesday, you know, staring out of the window. And then suddenly something clicked, you know, something happened. And I, I think there was a sort of, there's a, there's a monologue somewhere in the, in the third act, you know, or the second act uh, that Hal does. And it just completely resonated with me. Yeah. Uh, and I suddenly thought, uh, I, I understood poetry that day, I think. And, um, and I felt like I had discovered Shakespeare, you know, and, uh, but, but just me, you know, so I yeah. would go and tell people and say, listen, this guy, he's saying something. <laughs> this guy should I, check I, this I out. Mean, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of him. Like 400 years old, but my gosh, he's really right on it. Yeah. And, um, and people would be like, what? <laughs> like, like, <laughs> There's a section in every bookstore devoted to, we got it. Been to Stratford-upon-Avon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a city book to the guy. And did you have um, like immediate kind of validation? Like were, were people immediately saying like, hey, you're pretty good at this? Because I mean, that's, that's an impressionable time for a kid. I feel like if you hear that, you're like, oh. Yeah, I think that doing that. people were very supportive yeah. when I started, you know, because I, and I would do like, you know, go, I went down to the, uh, what was called the Edward Allen Hall, uh, which was the theater for the school, the school theater, very, a great theater, very well run, you know, theater uh, to have for a school, you know, amazing. But the, uh, uh, but I went down and I did Measure for Measure, right. you know, then I was sort of cast as Angelo and it's my first play there. And so it was kind of a big deal to be, um, you know, one of the leading parts of the play. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, as people, you know, heard and you know, the teachers, some of the teachers recognized that I had developed an interest in drama. Sure. You know, there would be increasingly I'd be asked to, you know, read out whatever, la la la, you know, and people were very encouraging when I was a kid, you know, so I was like 13, 14, 15, and then I went off to the National Youth Theatre, yeah. which is a big sort of change and really doing a kind of semi-professional 
production. And it, it sounds like reading up on you, I mean, film, at least at that time, wasn't necessarily the goal. I mean, you were hardcore. I mean, the, you fell in love with, with theater, and then this crazy opportunity of, of Amistad yeah. happens, which, that was, yes, that was your first film, yeah? That was my first film. It wasn't the first time I was ever, I did a, t- a small TV thing for HBO called a Deadly Voyage before that, but, this, but Amistad, uh, uh, and I was a tiny part in that, but Amistad was my first first film, proper, first proper role, first, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, uh, which was a kind of, a, I, you know, it was amazing. I was 19 and uh, I was at drama school and um, they'd allowed me to go because they said, well, because it's Spielberg, you're allowed to it's go. It's the famous Spielberg exemption. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that everybody Spielberg, knows. Kubrick or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the Spielberg five filmmakers. Yeah. You can go, be good practice for you, blah, blah, blah. Sure. And um, so anyway, I got the part and... Uh, and uh, and headed to Los Angeles. You know? I, I heard somewhere you tell the story, which amused me because I've sadly spent, spent some time there working. Uh, you spent a lot of time in what, like Century City and like in the Universal and like the uh, yeah City Walk, City Walk. Yeah, 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 that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That because uh, I was at the Universal Sheraton. Right. They they put me up at the Universal Sheraton, and I didn't drive. You know, so I was just up in City Walk every day, thinking that that was Hollywood. That's all like, you this need. Is, this is, you know, Hard Rock Cafe, Cinnabons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the best place on the planet Earth. You know, it's like I can see why the magic is here. <laughs> Everybody got a dream. You know, what's your relationship with like LA now? Are you? I mean, do, are you comfortable out there? Do you ever spend time out there? I mean, do you have a place there? Or yeah, you know? I have a place there. I have a house there, yeah. and uh, and uh, uh, and spend quite a lot of time there. You know. I've been doing a play in London, so less time in the last year, and sort yeah. of going forward, kind of not as much time as in the past. But you know, I have a great you know, relationship with uh, with LA. It's uh, it's 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 sort of it's a very interesting place. It's as different to to London as I can imagine, right. kind of anywhere. But it's uh, and you just still keep going back to City Walk. That's the only. And it's the only place I feel how like home. <laughs> yeah, is that? The guy from Twelve Years a Slave yeah, just exactly. going to the Orange Julius thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't look at me and don't call me Chewy. Yeah, exactly. Just two <laughs> things. Exactly. Much. Just two things. <laughs> exactly. Um, you mentioned we were talking when you sat down. You you are nearing the end of a, of a run in in London. Um, I mean, theater again. Like this is clearly like a, something that after Amistad, for instance, you went back and you you probably had some opportunities or or the or the plan trajectory on paper is like okay. Film career, yeah. Let's double down, but sure. that wasn't necessarily what you wanted at the time. Yeah, I didn't. I just didn't feel like a film actor. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like that. That was going to be my. Um, th- it didn't feel like that was going to be the, the f- way that I would express my artistic life. Right. Uh, I, I always felt like I would do it on in in theater, yeah, on stage. And so after, and I hadn't fulfilled any of my ambitions at that point theatrically, you know. Uh, I hadn't, because I was at drama school when I went off to work with Spielberg. Right. So I still wanted to work with the Royal Shakespeare Company, for example, or the National Theater, or to go to the West End, or to do, you know. Sure. Uh, so, and I think then, back then, even 20 years ago, they still, there wasn't that tradition that there is now of uh, theater actors being movie stars, movie stars right. being theater actors, whatever. Things were quite, like a little bit more compartmentalized, maybe not as much as it had been then, you know, 20 years before that, in the sure. 60s or anything, but there still was that sort of the sense of that a little bit, so um, so it felt like having a career in the theater and working in the theater was something that was really um, important to me and I hadn't achieved, and so I went back and joined the National Theater yeah. and so on and carried on. Do you, do you experience any, like, fear on stage at this point? Is it all just, like, a constant, is it a rush? Is it just a sense of, like, comfort of, like, this is, this is what I do, I know what I'm doing, so I got this, or is there an up and down kind of emotion that goes there's along a, with There's it? a feeling that is 
that I think is a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, because it's not exactly nerves and it's not exactly excitement, mm-hmm. but it can feel like either one depending on what you decide to feel. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? okay. And, uh, and it kind of happens around the first time that you're doing, like say, a first preview or maybe an opening night or whatever, sure. that I now have this feeling that I can either be like, oh, this is me being nervous, or if I decide, no, this isn't actually nervous, this is just I'm really excited and I can't wait to do this. Yeah. You know, and it feels like both somehow. Right. So it's quite interesting. I always, you know, there's, um, you know, there's a kind of, there's always that distinction now when you go on stage is that, you know, when you used to always think of going on stage as something that you had to sort of inhale a breath and on you go and, right. you know, here we, you know, here we are with the show. And, uh, and, and I guess the change is that now I just go on stage, you know. There's no moment of like no, yeah. the mask comes on. No, I got. I mean, I got. You know, and the character comes on, but it's like it. It just. It's an organic process of being on stage to present a story. It's not kind of um, prepared in the same way. Maybe maybe healthier in, in a way, just more or. Yeah, I think it's it's more about sitting into it yeah. and and being able to. Uh, explore a narrative with an audience in yeah. a kind of in a, in a sort of naturalistic with stagecraft. I mean, you are still hitting the back of the theatre, but sure. but you know, in a way that isn't just projected or tense or yeah. you know, um, it's uh, it's it's just allowed. You know. Did you see? Uh, I currently also on the stage is Benedict. Benedict Cumberbatch is doing. I haven't seen him right? yet. Yeah. I look look forward to it. Did you see the video he shot after he was? I guess he was frustrated, which I can I can imagine all every actor feels to a different degree. Where yeah. What he, uh, people were like videotaping or whatever. Yeah, he's lovely, Benedict. You know. Have I you mean, experienced that yourself in terms of like frustrations with audiences, and are you able to? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I don't. It's yeah, it's slightly different with him at the moment because he's in that slightly hysterical area. Yeah. Uh, that he's a meme. Are, he's a walking meme. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and you know. Uh, you know that people have so do people do stuff like that to me but it's not hysterical you know sure. it's like it's sort of it's just a bit thoughtless you know but it's not I mean, yeah. it's not loads of people or something it's not everybody you know right so um, you know so yeah I find that, I mean you know the fact that he kind of had to do that I mean I suppose he had to uh, you know but I when I watched it I just thought that he you know, he just spoke so generously with everybody and yeah. eloquently and was very... And I thought, gosh, I wonder if, even if in that segment, I'd be able to... Because I'd be so frustrated that I'd probably come out and express that in the wrong way and yeah. then escalate the situation and make it worse. But I feel like he did it... He just has a, 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 a way, and it's his, it's his charisma and his character. It's so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try. I always turn things negative. It's just, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. annoying to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to be working with him soon, I am, it sounds I like. Am, a yes, Doctor Strange, yes. this has been confirmed now. Yeah. Um, I feel badly at Sundance. I was one of those many that was like, Doctor Strange, I'm here yeah, Doctor yeah, Strange. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. rightfully clammed up because it was a little yeah. premature. Um, is that, uh, I mean, I know you can't say much about it, but I mean, is, is it exciting? Well, talk to me about this. I mean, I assume this is one of those things where maybe you had to sign on without like a script. Like it was kind of like an amorphous, like you maybe got a chance to talk to Scott or Kevin Feige or Benedict, I don't know. Is that a leap? Did it feel like a leap to get involved in a project like this when there's less of like knowing exactly every word you're doing? I'm not going to say much. Oh, no. <laughs> we're back at Sundance. What happened? Yeah, exactly. We were so good. Even, even with that intro. <laughs> <laughs> Which was very cunning, and I liked it very much. You know my techniques. I'm not going to say You've been warned. <laughs> are you, are you boning up? Have you read some comics? You can say that. Have I read comics? I mean, Am I read, have I read uh, some Do you have a vat of Baron Mordo comics <laughs> waiting for you at home? I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm into the, you know, the reading of the, all the Doctor Strange and all of the material and everything that's out there, yeah. and I'm very excited about about jumping in. Man, they've got you. They've got the snipers out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having a nice civil comp. No! 
<laughs> not before he gets his last orange Julius. Uh, um, you talk about, uh, going back a little bit, um, you talked about being kind of goal-oriented, of like having some things you want to accomplish in the theater back then. Are you still someone that sort of has that, whether it's filmmakers or, or types of parts or types of films? Is that helpful to have that kind of mindset? Like, you know, I'm at this age, I want to get this done by this age, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I had had in the past that kind of you know methodology. Yeah, uh, and certainly, as we were saying, when I was you know want to be you know a theatre actor, I, that was all my kind of you know, um, and uh, and I but I realised very quickly that none of that is it's just meaningless. Yeah, you know? and, it's a waste uh, of time. Yeah, total. That's a waste of time. <laughs> and nothing that I thought would happen in the sequential way that uh, you know everything turned yeah. into completely something else, and it never you know um, so. Uh, so you can't do it like that. You just got to kind of play it uh, as in life. You know, you just got to play it like moment to moment. Yeah. And you make a certain amount of plans, obviously, but not uh, not something that you are kind of trying to wrestle with or, you know, square peg, round hole or whatever. You sure. know, you are, you're free and open to the movement of the universe, if you like. And uh, I would think that's career. difficult, especially after that experience of like 12 Years a Slave, which became so, such a, a monumental experience for many different reasons. Award season and resonating with audiences and importance of the material, all of it. Because that can screw with an actor's head, I would think. We're like, okay, Oscar-nominated actor, this film wins all these awards. Um, should I be doing different sorts of things now? Is there a playbook to the kind of roles I should be going after now. Was there a little bit of that, or was it sort of like, you've done this long enough, you know the game, where like, no, trust my instincts, still go towards Zephyr Zacharias, the ones that, that Oh resonates. yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. You can't, um, uh, you can't worry about any of it. You, know? yeah. you, can't be, you just can't think about <clears throat> what, uh, it all, what you, you, how you fit and what that then means in the kind of construct. Right. I think you've just got to play um, do the work as honestly as you can, and 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 be engaged with what you're, with what you're engaged with, um, you know. And it's it's size or the medium of it, or you know. I, I mean, I know for me, I I still have to do theatre pretty regularly. Right. Uh, I love you know doing things that are kind of that are nuanced and small and have an like emotional uh, relevance and weight and heft because they inspire me and they engage me. Yeah. Uh, I also am happy to you know do things that are entertaining, you know, yeah. and just full on, you know, um, because that's I get pleasure from that as a, as a cinema goer sure. as well and so that's part of the so um, which allows me to have kind of a really broad net you know but yeah. a, and to be able to look at a large kind of amount of material from different different places but I've never been able to kind of to I've never had an oeuvre or a genre and I've never really decided anything because of a factor other than the material itself right. and the other and the people involved and so on but uh, but certainly um, you know after Twelve years, you know, what I wanted to do was, you know, knuckle down to something that I thought was interesting, that yeah. I thought kind of had something to say, and and Zifa Zechariah definitely did that. There's the fact that I want to mention uh, in our remaining time a couple filmmakers that just I'm a huge fan of, and I'm sure you are too, having worked with them or just being a fan. Um, he worked with Spike a couple times. Yeah. That was relatively early on. Give me a sense. This is a guy that that knows what he wants. He doesn't suffer fools. In my experience, just in like what I what I do, and that could actually apply to now that I think about it. A few of the filmmakers you've worked with, whether it's Ridley or Stephen Frears, guys that sort of just they know it. There's there's not much bullshit. Yeah. Right. Is that do you gravitate towards a certain kind of filmmaker? Did you click with Spike for any particular reason or? I uh, I just I like Spike a lot. You know, for all of those reasons, yeah. I thought he was really interesting. He's very direct. You know, 
and uh, and uh, you know, and he kind of and he he just expects you to to get to the point that he is kind of that he can shoot what you're doing and feel good about it. Right. You know what I mean? And, yeah. he, and it's not like he's going to you know talk you up the mountain. He's no. gonna, he expects this is what I need. To you're a yeah. professional. Yeah, it's like let's get this going. Yeah, got the camera here. Let's do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I like that. Uh, you know, I like that. I think he's somebody who just has he he for me he always encapsulates what all what all great filmmakers possess. You know, yeah. which is just a watchful eye and a powerful voice. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that he. That Spike is really somebody, and in those films that we did, you know, I think that he's somebody who really kind of, you know, captured a kind of moment, which is why they're so infinitely watchable. I think. Um, as a stereotypical born and bred New Yorker, I have to bring up Woody Allen, as I do with every person I talk to on the podcast that's worked with him, and you've worked with him on Melinda Melinda. That's true. Did it feel like, were all the stories true that you had heard going in? Did it feel like, again, he's somebody that doesn't necessarily, from what I hear, talk through it? He sort yeah. of like lets you do your thing. Yeah. Did it? Did you? Did you find that to be an environment that was comfortable? Was it again? That feels like such a level of surrealness to be on a Woody Allen set. That must just be insane. Yeah, it's interesting to go through those experiences and be relatively. You know, I was quite young when I was, you know, um, and I uh, and I felt that that you know, if I knew quite the style that he worked in, yeah, <clears throat> I would have slightly prepared for it in a different way, <laughs> you know. Uh, because maybe I did expect, like, or think that there would be a kind of more of a more kind of dialogue about it, yeah. Of just like figuring it out together, the kind of thing that I was doing. We've been doing onesie for Zechariah with Craig and whatever. Sure. But because there isn't really that, you know, I, I remember feeling like uh, that it was that uh, just having. I remember just having to come up to speed with yeah. with it, uh, you know, very quickly. And uh, I would uh, think the, the, there's that sense that time is running out. It's like, oh wait, I thought we were gonna. You get another shot at that, or it's like Quint notoriously does a couple takes. It's like, and then that's that. Yeah, that's it. But like, that's you know, I think I turned up on the first day of Melinda and Melinda, and I remember it all being set up, the lights and everything, and I had to cut. Sort of, there was a, you know, um, there was just some, you know, just in the lighting rig, there was just like a little curtain, and I had to get underneath it, and and I sat down in a, in a seat, and there was Rada, and there was Chloe, and um, and the camera was on me, and uh, and uh, and Woody said, okay, turn over. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, or rolling, they said, rolling. And, uh, and that was it. You know, there was no conversation. There right. was that. And then we're into a very lengthy dialogue scene, uh, yeah. sort of immediately. And um, so it was kind of like that. And so there was a lot of kind of catching up to do and thinking, okay, let me get ahead of this because it's not going to be a dialogue y. Sure. Did, did you know what you were getting into in terms of you've expanded your fan base forever thanks to Serenity being in the Joss Whedon universe? Like, that's, they'll be with you till the grave. <laughs> for good, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, they're with you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you kind of know that going in? Had you... I didn't. It's been, it's been a great experience. You know, that yeah. was always, you know, because I loved that film and I loved working with Joss. And I didn't, I didn't actually know much about, you know, um, Firefly. And, you know, they, sure. they had to send me that material. And I was in, I happened to be in L.A., and uh, and I remember just uh, I remember uh, an ex girlfriend of mine. Uh, we were in an apartment in uh, in uh, in Los Angeles, and I think she had like the, she was either holding. She, I think she was holding the laundry, like just holding a bag of laundry when I put in the first tape. Yeah. You know? And I put in the first tape, and I stood back, and I was standing, you know, watching the thing as was she. And it was the first episode, so the pilot episode. And the half of the first hour, 
you know, she put down the laundry. <laughs> and then Mesmerized we, and slowly. <laughs> and then we sat on the bed and put in the second episode. Right. <laughs> and I just had watched her clothes for a week. Yeah, they expected a whole of <laughs> Firefly. You know, we were binge watching before binge watching was a thing. There you go. <laughs> you know, and uh, it was, um, yeah, it was great. Binge watching anything lately? Or you, uh, TV you know, I actually, because I was doing a film with Aaron Paul and I got really embarrassed because I hadn't seen, right. you know, a lot of, uh, I'd seen some part of the beginning, but I somehow missed the Breaking Bad kind yeah. of, you know. Uh, and so we were on set and I just felt, continually felt awkward because I was, <laughs> you, you know, moved to the other side of the set when people would start talking about Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could be over craft like, service. You know, I was like, why does everybody call you bitch, you know? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> why do they hate you so You don't seem like that much of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, got, I felt like an idiot. Right. So, uh, so I binged watched uh, Break, Breaking Bad and it was As phenomenal. Right? That's amazing. Phenomenal. Isn't that funny though how you feel like, that? I, I felt like that, uh, I mean, it's my job to talk to actors continuously, and I, but I have not seen Game of Thrones, and oh, yeah. I'm continuously like embarrassed to no end, and it's for no discernible reason other than I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, I know I'll love it when I get to it. I'm sorry, yeah. it's a busy life, guys. <laughs> Cut <laughs> yeah. me some slack. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? It's like uh, <laughs> it's sort of like at this point it becomes like you know homework or something. You yeah. know what I mean? In the idea that you are, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to do it anyway. Of course. And now you're going to have to binge watch. Now you're going to have to take a week to right. get all seven seasons or whatever. Out of the, you know, if you just kept up with it bit by bit. Okay, I get it, Chiwetel. <laughs> okay. And in the final Fine. exam, you wouldn't have to study that. I'm breaking bad. I can say the exact same thing to you. Okay? That's true. <laughs> I learned my, I learned my lesson. Now I watch it as it's happening. The sage-like wisdom sort of, of Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what are you off to next? After you wrap the place soon, do you know what you're shooting next? Well, I'll shoot Doctor Strange. And, uh, yeah. Oh, now so, you can say it. So, now. Well, I mean, you know that I'm going to shoot Doctor Strange, so that's what I'd be like, you know. It suddenly caught me out. <laughs> um, no, I'm very psyched to see. I mean, I, uh, as I said, see for Zachary, it's a great piece of work. You, all three of you in it uh, kill it. Uh, Craig's direction's impeccable. Um, and I wish you the best of luck on it, and I'm looking forward to actually being able to talk about Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's great. You promise we'll actually be able to talk at We some will, point? there's no doubt. Okay, good. Uh, thanks for stopping by today. A pleasure. Thank good you. Good to see you. Thank you. <laughs> different comedian is the host and Lauren is the guest. It makes me so excited I want to kill a cat and skin its bones and eat them for dinner. Yum. Anyways, listen to this clip. Your gaze is so judgmental. I know. I just, no. Inside, you have a perfect body. You just don't take care of it. If we could just carve you out of there, we'd have a perfect statue. But you down those flaming hot Cheetos and don't... They're disgusting. So good. You talk about my tan hands. Well, you have red fingers. That's the sign of a true snacker. Did you like that? Did you? You'd better like it or this year Santa's coming down your chimney and dumping coal over your dumbass house. I can make him do that. Check out with special guest Lauren Lapkus today at Earwolf.com on Howl or your favorite podcast app, you dumb little butthole. Ho-ho! <laughs>